As you take your seat, you can open your copy of the Word of God with me to Romans chapter 6. We're in a series of messages through Paul's letter to the Romans. And last week we looked at the first part of chapter 6, or verses 1 through 13. And the subject was being united to Christ. One of the great benefits of being a Christian is that we are united in a very real way. According to Jesus' death and resurrection, we are united to him. And now Paul, in the latter part of the chapter, makes it clear that this union with Christ leads to something. And that is a slavery to God. We are united to Christ in verses 1 through 13, and Paul will outline for us that we are slaves to God in chapter 14, or excuse me, verse 14 through 23 this morning. Fourth of July weekend, so what better time to run across a passage on slavery, you know? (laughs) That was a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Slavery is a horrible thing. It's been around for thousands of years. William Barclay says in the Roman Empire there was as many as six million slaves. Here in the United States, we have our own black eye as a result of slavery in our history. The idea of a man owning and controlling other human beings as if they were property is repugnant and a disgrace to the fact that all human beings are made in the image of God. While we don't like slavery, we consider it evil, the reality is all human beings live under a form of Slavery. All human beings. Why is that? Well, being made in the image of God, we are dependent creatures. We were made to be dependent upon the true and living God. But our rebellion, our desire for independence led to slavery. And what Paul's going to present to us here is that all human beings live under a form of slavery. We're either slaves of God or slaves of Satan. We're either slaves of righteousness or slaves of lawlessness, to put it another way. A third way we could say it is we're either slaves of obedience or we're slaves of sin. And that is what the Apostle Paul is going to unfold for us this morning. All human beings fall into one of these two categories. and There is no neutrality. To put it another way, all human beings have an owner, a master. We belong to God or we belong to Satan. And Paul presents us with a comparison and a contrast between slavery to sin and Satan and slavery to righteousness and Almighty God in this passage. What we're going to discover here is that slavery to God is the ultimate freedom that every human being can enjoy with a personal relationship to Jesus Christ. I want you to notice two or three things this morning. Number one, let's look at our new status in Christ Jesus. We'll see that in verse 14. And then secondly, our surrender to Christ means slavery to God. And that's what Paul unfolds for us in verses 15 and 16. And then thirdly, we're going to look at what I call a tale of two slaveries. A tale of two slaveries as Paul compares and contrasts slavery to God and slavery to sin in verses 17 through 23. 
First of all, our new status in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 14. This is really a transitional verse. Many people include, many scholars include this verse with the preceding passage because it's a self-contained unit. But he does speak about sin not being our master anymore, and that obviously fits with the theme of slavery. And so first, Paul makes our new status clear as believers. We are no longer under the law. That means we are no longer under the condemnation of the law. Why is that? Well, for two reasons. One, Christ fulfilled and satisfied the demands of the law. Because of his perfect, sinless life, he never disobeyed. He fulfilled the demands of the law on our behalf. That was his active obedience. Secondly, Christ paid the penalty for all of our disobedience to the law when he died on Calvary as our sin-bearing substitute. We call that Christ's passive obedience. And so by his active and his passive obedience, the Lord Jesus took our status from under the condemnation of the law. Now we are under the protection of God's grace. We are saved by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's logic concerning verse 14 goes something like this. If you're not under God's protection of God's grace, then you remain under the condemnation of the law, and thus you remain a slave to Satan and to sin. And Satan is a horrible taskmaster. Well, that's our new status in Christ. Now notice, secondly, in verses 15 and 16, our surrender to Christ means slavery to God. And this looks very familiar to the beginning of the first part of the chapter that we studied last week. As we saw last week, Paul once again, introduces a faulty deduction to a biblical doctrine. Namely, does the fact that we are no longer under the law, but under grace, give us license to continue living in sin? He puts it as a question. You know, last week in the first verse of this chapter, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. And Paul does the same thing here. He's saying essentially the same thing. No, grace is able to overcome all of our sin. That's true. But it's a faulty deduction to say if we're under God's grace, we can continue in sin. Just as faulty as if it were to say we are no longer under the law of God. We're not under the law of God in terms of condemnation. The question, just like in last week's message, was, most likely an objection to Paul's teaching. They take Paul's statement, you're not under law, but under grace, to mean that the law is no longer relevant or important for the believer in Christ. In a nutshell, this kind of objection says, essentially, the gospel of grace in Christ leads to the abolition of the law of God. We call this school of thought antinomianism. Christ fulfilled all the demands of the law. But we'll see later on in Romans chapter 8 that now, as we serve by the Spirit of God, we still delight in the law of God. The law of God has always been a great, great means of grace. But people who abuse it and people who twist the Scriptures come up with all sorts of distortions. I remember a little thing that people used to say years ago, Oh, free from the law, oh, blessed condition. I can sin all I want and still have remission. 
People actually thought that way. And Paul's answer is exactly the same as it was last time. May it never be. He's outraged that people would come up with this kind of deduction. Paul contends that the gospel in no way abolishes the law of God. Christ abolishes the demand for that law because he paid the penalty himself. And so we stand faultless before a holy God. But that doesn't mean that the law has been thrown out. On the contrary, as John Calvin put it, the law of God sweetly complies with the gospel. When somebody embraces Jesus Christ by faith, they no longer look at the law as that which condemns, as that which brings guilt. They look at the law of God and say, now that my heart has been changed and I've been saved by grace through faith, I desire to obey God's law. I desire to obey God's word as a whole. Our hearts are changed. As believers, we now approach the law of God with a willingness to obey. Paul will put it later in Romans 7, verse 6. We serve in newness of the Spirit, not in oldness of the letter. In verse 16, Paul frames our new slavery to God in this manner, that we are no longer slaves of sin, but as slaves of God, we devote ourselves to obedience to Him. You see, remember in Romans 5, the Bible described Jesus as the last Adam. Where the first Adam failed, Christ is the last Adam. He triumphed. And this is why in 2 Corinthians, Paul will say, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is past, the new has come. And so with Jesus as the last Adam, it's like things have been reversed, the effects of the fall have been reversed, and now there is a new humanity. No longer Jew and Gentile. No longer the ordinary distinctions, red and yellow, black and white. No, there is a new humanity where all things are made new. And we are sons and daughters of God by faith in Christ Jesus. But as dependent creatures, we're no longer slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to God. We have a relationship with Him. Now what Paul does with the remainder of this chapter is what I call the tale of two slaveries. He talks about the one slavery to Satan and to sin and the other slavery to God. And he does it in such a way as he, he frames it in the various movements of the Christian life, like conversion, and then sanctification, and later glorification. We go to be with God. So notice, first of all, the origin of these two slaveries. Look at verses 17 and 18. Paul is presenting here, I believe, a picture of our conversion to Christ in these verses. First, in verse 17, he reminds us of what we were, slaves of sin. The tense of the verb is imperfect and suggests that this is what we are by nature. What we have always been. This takes us back to original sin. We are born with a sin nature. And therefore, there's corruption already there. There is guilt. And we are in need of a Savior from the time we come forth from the womb. Paul says, thanks be to God, though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient to from the heart. 
That's the gospel. You became obedient from the heart to the teaching to which you were committed. That's the gospel message. And the fact that Paul says, thanks be to God, indicates that their response to the gospel was a result of God's free grace. They didn't just make up their minds one day. If you ever come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's because of the holy and a sovereign God awakened you spiritually out of your deadness. And he pulled you to himself. Just like Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him, literally drags him into the kingdom. In verse 16, secondly, Paul tells us that freedom from slavery to sin means that we're now slaves of righteousness. Excuse me, verse 18. Look what he says. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I love the way Paul puts it in Colossians 1.13 about our conversion. For he, that is God, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Our slavery to sin began at birth. And really before that, it is our natural fallen condition. Our slavery to God began when God's grace, by God's grace, we obeyed the gospel. We embraced the free offer of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is focusing on our conversion here. And he makes it clear over and over again, you're going to be slaves of someone. As Bob Dylan sang many years ago, you're going to serve somebody. It's either going to be the Lord or it's going to be Satan. So that's the origin of these slaveries. Now look at the development of them in verse 19. I believe Paul is presenting here our sanctification in Christ in these verses. He begins with an apology. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. What does he mean by that? Well, he's, he's framing salvation in the context of slavery. You're either slave of God or you're slave of Satan. And that's not all of the Christian life. There are many, many other wonderful things about the Christian life, but Paul is trying to put it in their ordinary language as much as possible so they get it. And he talks about the weakness of their flesh. That could have been the weakness of their character or their inability to interpret Scripture properly. That's why we have this mess in the first place. If we're no longer under the law, that means we don't need the law. Paul's like, no, no, no. You got it all wrong. And I'm trying to give you baby talk here, basically, to make it as simple as possible. And what does he show? He shows the slavery to sin leads to the grim process of moral deterioration. Just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in what? Further lawlessness. On the other hand, slavery to God results in the glorious process of moral sanctification. He says, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Each slavery develops, neither stands still. And that's very important. In one, we become better and better. In the other, we become growly, grow steadily worse. You see, you can't be a slave of Satan without bad things happening. You can't ignore and disobey God's word without consequences. 
And the tragedy is a lot of people who reject God's word and want to live on their own and be, quote, independent, they think they're free when they're not. Peter said that in his second epistle, chapter 2, verse 19. He says they promise others freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. Don't we see a lot of that these days? People talking about freedom. Free expression of who I truly am and all this sort of thing, leading to all kinds of confusion and perversion. And they promise freedom. They want to see others liberated while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. And we should remember that being a slave to sin means living according to the flesh. And being a slave to righteousness means living according to to the Spirit of God. See, we're so blind. As human beings, we are affected in all parts of our being by sin. We don't see things straight. And a good example of that is in our other readings this morning. When Jesus said, if you believe the truth, you'll be free. And those Jews, the Pharisees, the religious leaders said, we're sons of Abraham. We never have been enslaved to anyone. Oh, really? What about Egypt? What about Babylon? What about Assyria? You have been enslaved throughout your existence. And why? Because you rebel and rebel and rebel against Jehovah. And this is why you're in this mess that you're in. But they don't see it. They don't see it. That's what spiritual blindness is. You think you're free, but you're not. And sin always leads to bondage and slavery. All you have to do is look at the nation of Israel. It will always be a downward spiral when we reject God's Spirit and seek to live according to our own desires, often in disobedience to His Word, and we see that now in living color in our nation. That's why Paul said in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Where are you sowing today? Where are you sowing? If you've been converted to Christ, do you see yourself growing spiritually? Or are you going back to the flesh? Are you believing lies by Satan in our culture? Ask yourself those questions. And I want you to notice something very important. Note how Paul emphasizes the need to be proactive in our sanctification. Sanctification is not merely avoiding certain things. It includes an active pursuit of righteousness. That's why he says, present your members to righteousness. Yeah, don't do evil things that you know the Bible condemns, but on the other side, be proactive. Take advantage of the means of grace. Don't lay out a church on Sunday morning. If Christ has changed your heart, you're going to have a hunger and a thirst for God's Word. You want to hear it taught. You want to hear it read. You want to hear it preached. You want to grow. Well, finally, Paul gives the outcome of these slaveries in verses 20 through 23. Now, Paul presents a paradox in these verses. Please don't miss this. He points out that each slavery is also a kind of freedom. Although the one is authentic and the other is spurious. Similarly, each freedom is a kind of slavery. 
although one is degrading and the other is elevating. Look at verse 20. On the one hand, he writes, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Verse 20. Although that sort of freedom is really called license. License. On the other hand, he writes in 22a, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. And although that sort of slavery is better called liberty, Paul goes on to say that the way to assess the rival claims of these two slaveries for freedoms is by elevating their benefit, evaluating their benefit, and literally their fruit. What are the negative benefits of slavery to sin and freedom from righteousness, remorse, guilt, depression? Finally, eternal death, separation from God, which is called the final chapters of the book of Revelation, the second death, where you reject God's word, you reject the truth over and over again, and finally the Lord says, I'll give you what you want, and that is eternity without me and with unending suffering in hell. Paul goes on to say that the positive benefits of freedom from sin and slavery to God our holiness in the present, and in the end, eternal life, meaning fellowship with God in heaven. And the believer already enjoys the communion with the Lord as a result of Christ's death on the cross for us. And so, in summary, there is a freedom which leads to death and a bondage which leads to life. And if you are in bondage to Christ, If you're a slave of his, that means you're no longer a slave of sin. And you've been set free to demonstrate the new humanity that begins with the last Adam, the Lord Jesus. And we believe that our union with him sets us free and makes us children of God. And therefore, we want to act like we're no longer slaves to sin. Look at the final verse. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. In this final verse, Paul continues his antithesis between sin, personified, and God. There are the ultimate slave masters of all human beings. All human beings are in bondage to one or the other. And those who are in Adam serve sin, while those who are in Christ serve God. And he repeats the warning that these two slaveries are so diametrically opposed to each other that the ultimate destinies to which they lead are either death or eternal life. What is new is the contrast of the terms of service on which these two slave owners operate. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Sin pays a wage. You get what you deserve. But God gives a free gift. You are given what you don't deserve. If then we are determined to get what we deserve, it can only be death. And by contrast, eternal life is God's gift, wholly free and utterly undeserved. And the only ground on which the gift is bestowed is the atoning death of Jesus Christ. And the only condition of receiving it is that we are in Christ Jesus our Lord, That is, personally united to him by faith. 
Here then are two lives which are totally opposed to each other. Jesus portrayed them as the broad road which leads to destruction and the narrow road which leads to life. Paul calls them two slaveries. By birth we are in Adam and slaves to sin by grace. And faith we are in Christ and slaves to God. And bondage to sin yields no return except shame and ongoing moral deterioration, cultivating or culminating in the death we deserve. Bondage to God, however, yields the precious fruit of progressive holiness and peace, culminating in the free gift of life. Have you come to faith in Christ? Are you going through your life trying to express yourself, get all you can, trying to feed your flesh in every way, shape, and form, and ignoring truth? Come to Jesus. You know, Jesus is the one who said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And that is the status of somebody who goes headlong in their sin. He says, come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me. Submit your life to me. And as you put on my yoke, as you take my burden, you'll find, to your surprise, that it's light. Just as Jesus said in John 8, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words, these sobering words by the Apostle Paul. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you would search our hearts as we come to this table of communion, as we look back and remember your sacrifice for our sins to start a new humanity. Father, I pray that every one of us would examine our souls and our lives and ask that question, who am I in slavery to? Lord, convict us. Lead us to repentance. And Lord, do what you alone can do. Gloriously enter the hearts of those that do not know you. Save them for Jesus' sake. Do all these things and more, Lord, and we'll give you the praise and glory for all that you will do. We make our prayer now in Jesus' name. Amen.